Jesus really does change everything. And as we uh, lean into his presence, we'll continue in worship in just a little bit. And tonight we're launching a brand new series. And so if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm Jack, one of the pastors here. And uh, we're going to be looking into the book of Joshua, which is in the Old Testament. Uh, a few times a year, we try to, to kind of go through a book of the Bible together uh, to work on kind of our biblical literacy and understanding things. And the book of Joshua is a great book that has lots of challenges, lots of invitations, lots of principles, uh, and lots of God's stories that we want to look into. And so um, in Joshua, you can turn there, this is right after the Pentateuch, so the first five books of the Bible, uh, most scholars believe Moses authored, and this is kind of toward the tail end of the Israelites' journey as they've come out of Exodus, out of Egypt, on this Exodus of going out toward the promised land that God has promised. But they've been in this holding pattern for a little bit. Mostly because 40 years later, they showed up at the promised land, at the, the Jordan there. They're getting ready to cross, and some spies went over to investigate, and 12 came back, and 10 said, there's no way. We can't do it. And two came back and said, with God's help, we can do it. And this is God's promise, and it's something that, that he has for us, and we need to go. And the 10 won. And God says, because you didn't believe me, and you didn't trust me, you're going to wander. And so 40 years goes by, right? And Moses doesn't get to lead the people in. And at the tail end of this, this is the end of Moses' journey and Joshua's beginning. Joshua's one of those two that said we could do this. But he spent 40 years wandering as kind of a nomad as people wandered about there in the desert waiting for God to take them to the promised land that he had promised and said, I'm going to give to the ancestors of Abraham. This is hundreds of years of coming to fruition. So that's kind of the backdrop a little bit. Can you imagine what they're feeling? Can you imagine being on this side of the Jordan River knowing of all the stories you've heard? Oh, it seems impossible. There's no way that we could go over and conquer this land. There's no way that this is actually going to happen. Can you imagine the fears that are a part of their journey, a part of their life? Do you have fear? Do you ever struggle with fear? Do you ever have simple fears? Like, how many of you are scared of cockroaches? Yeah, they don't talk to you, but they scream, don't they? Silently. You have lots of different fears. In fact, here's what I want you to do. Turn to your neighborhood. Two, three people run around you. What's, what's three fears that you've got? It could be simple. It could be big. You got three fears. You got 30 seconds. Go. What's some fears that you face? All right, talking, talking, ducking, done. How many of you, uh, bugs, snakes, something like that? That's you, that's your fear. How many of you feel a fear of failure? Okay, uh, fear of the unknown. How many of you just have, uh, you just say, hey, I'm fear. I'm just like, that's me. I'm just, like, just anything. I'm just afraid of most things, um, including you talking to me right now. Just Okay, so fear is a part of the human experience, isn't it? 
It's part of the condition that we all face. It's things that we have to navigate. It's a part of each of our stories. It's in the background and the backdrop of your life. For some of you, it's extensive, and for some of you, it's less. But that's what I want you to keep in mind because that's in the backdrop and in the background of the people of Israel in the book of Joshua. And so as we begin to make our way through some of these God's stories and begin to unfold some things, you have to understand the fear that had to be there. Sometimes we look at Bible stories and we go, well, that's just that's the way it plays out, but we forget the human dynamic of this. These are real people who are having a real experience, and they're struggling with this fear that's in the background of their life of, hey, is this ever going to happen? Are we really going to be able to get over here? See, fear often lurks in the background of stories, your story, my story. It has a way of hindering us, fears of danger, of failure, of the unknown, many, many others that we could list here. Fear is an experience of all humans that we, we all share at times. In fact, we even call battling your fears facing your fears, right? It's to face them. And in the book of Joshua, God is challenging his people to face their fears and to move forward, trusting him that he's at work in all these things. And so tonight we're going to look at how God is calling Joshua and the Israel people to move forward past their fears as God leads them. And I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of principles here for us in our day, in our season to understand how does it mean to move forward in our fears and how do we begin going about this. So I want to give you a little bit of series introduction and then I want to acknowledge something about the book of Joshua that's tough and it's not easy to get around. And so Joshua is a book again about the possession of the promised land for the people of Israel. God's brought them out of Egypt and said, I'm going to give you this land. Uh, the Bible often depicts it as a, a land flowing with milk and honey. That would be awesome if it really was. But this idea that this is a beautiful and splendid land that he's going to lead you to. But you've got to be a part of doing this. This is fulfilling a promise going all the way back to Abraham. However, the people of God have said, no, we are fearful. And that's what stopped them the first time. And here they are, 40 years later, coming back to this side of the Jordan. They still haven't made it over to the promised land where God's leading them, but they're still stuck here. They begin to have this journey. Moses passes away, and God calls and commissions Joshua to lead his people forward to where they're going. Now, if you read through the book of Joshua, which is really fun for about the first seven, eight chapters... And then from like chapter 8 to like chapter 22, it's really boring. Not joking. So like you could do it. I did it. And you kind of look at it and you go, wow, these are just a lot of details of battles and things that are going on and people's names that you'll never remember and all this kind of stuff. And then the last couple chapters is this, uh, this declaration that Joshua makes and what he challenges people to do going into the next generation and passing the torch of leadership. And so there's incredible God stories in the midst of this, but the reality is there is something that's kind of, we can't ignore it. In fact, it's something that challenges a lot of people who are reading the Bible, and, and they come to this, and they read about God, and they read about these stories that unfold in Joshua, and, and they say, God's angry. God must be really mad. Because there's these battles, you can't ignore the violence that happens in this book. 
If you've ever seen the movie 300, think like that sometimes. There's some great battles and scenes that go on, and the world of Joshua jars many modern readers because it seems so distant and so different than our day today. In some ways, in some ways not. But it is radically different. The ancient and modern worlds are, are truly different. And there's a discomfort level that comes sometimes when you read through these things. And that 3,000 years later, in this side of the gospel, they should be different, right? That this understanding of, of saying, hey, it's not that we can just take what happened in Joshua and just apply it to our day. These Joshua conquests should be the reality of our day. You really can't do that because it was so radically different because we're not a covenant people who are being brought to a covenant promised land that God has already announced his declaration to say, I've passed judgment over and I'm gonna hand this to my people. We don't live in that scenario. So we can't apply Joshua's conquest tales to our day and age and say this is the way it should be. You just can't. More importantly, the teachings of Jesus permanently eliminate the Joshua option of violence done in Jesus' name. It's not a reality. You can't compare the two or you can't cross them over and say this is the way it's supposed to be. Now, if we want to talk about just war and what, is, what qualifies a just war, then, then we can have that conversation, but not tonight because it's too long. But you have to understand that because I think some people come to this book and they, and they see the violence here and they are immediately turned off. And I can understand that. I can understand where you can see things that way. But you have to understand, this is a covenant people who have been promised a land that God has said, I've already passed judgment. And we can say, hey, God, you're mean and you shouldn't pass that kind of judgment. But the reality is he's the ultimate authority. He gets to choose. You don't and I don't. And he's made this way to say, my people are going to have this land. And this is the way it's going to unfold. And it's not neat and it's not pretty at times. But the reality is when you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, they never glorify these battles. They never glorify the goriness of them. They never uh, prop these up to say this is the way the future should be. So you have to kind of leave this in the past that this is the way it was. And it doesn't lay over and say this is exactly the way it should be today. And so there's this idea that you have to understand it's Yahweh's power and authority and generosity and provision to fulfill his promise. From beginning to end, the book of Joshua identifies Yahweh, God, and his commitment to fulfill his promises to his people. And that is the driving force of every narrative throughout the whole entire book. You have to recognize the commitment that that idea that God is committed to his people and that commitment carries over to you and to me as followers of Jesus now, that we see his commitment. So let's start, right? Chapter one, uh, verse one, we're gonna go through verse nine tonight and kind of look at three different things that we begin to see in this. So verse one, this is how it starts. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. So he's kind of Moses' assistant here. He's kind of the second in command. Moses, my servant, is dead. There's one word in there that sticks out to me. It's the word my. The creator of the heavens and the earth. 
Deuteronomy talks about Moses talked with God as a friend speaks to another face to face. My servant, God says, Moses, he's passed. Joshua, you're up. And he goes on. Um, Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River. Jordan River's a big river they gotta cross to get over to the promised land, into the land that I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be in the land that I have given to you. Skip down to verse five. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. You be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all of the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Joshua has this conversation where God says, I'm commissioning you. You have a mission to carry out. Joshua, this is what the chapter was before you, and that chapter has closed. And now it's a new chapter, and you're up. And God commissions him, and he commissions and calls us today. I don't know if you've ever thought about the reality that you have been called. The Bible talks about that, that you have been called as a follower of Jesus. You're called into a relationship with him, not just to have a relationship, you and him. It's bigger than that, that you have a calling on your life, and you have been commissioned to help move the mission of God forward in the ways that he leads you to do and the ways that he's mapped out before the beginning of time. I love what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. He talks about this faith as a gift, that it comes from God, and then he says this, for you are God's masterpiece, that he created anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the things that he planned long ago. Friend, you have, you have been commissioned and called to do some things that the person next to you cannot do, in this world for God's kingdom and for his glory and for his story to grow. You've been called and you've been commissioned. You have a unique identity as God's people, which is a group thing. It's us, we're God's people as followers of Jesus. We're God's people as followers of Jesus all across the world. But you also have a unique individual calling that you are God's person and that he has a unique calling and commissioning for a part of his mission that only you can accomplish. And you're to step into that. You're to grow in that. You're to be a mission people. That means we don't just live for ourselves. And we don't just live for the story we can create. I think Joshua probably would have been fine just saying, God, it's okay right here. I mean, at least I understand how things work right here but you're not calling me to lead these people to something totally different. And think of all the battles and all the challenges that he was gonna face. The unknown, the fear of failure, the fear of not knowing how things are gonna go. And God's saying, Joshua, I've got a mission for you and you have to go. See, the scene that's interesting, you start comparing these, Joshua's commissioning and calling to Jesus and to this understanding that God commissions Joshua and it closely parallels Jesus and the great commission that he gives the church of which you're a part of, individually and corporately. As Moses' departure, Joshua comes on the scene. He's in charge. Jesus' departure, he leaves the church, the apostles in charge. You're to do something. 
Joshua launched Israel across the Jordan into Canaan, into the promised land. And Jesus says, you're the apostles. You're in the promised land. And I'm now launching you where? To the ends of the earth. That it has this geographical connection to it. That it's this expanding circles. Joshua launched Israel across the Jordan into Canaan. These fearful tensions that could have been there, that probably were there. This is the known. God, we at least, you know, being a nomad is, has its challenges, but at least we understand the challenges. Where you're calling us to go, we don't even know what's there yet. We don't know what awaits. And God says, Joshua, you need to go. You're to lead these people. I've commissioned you. I've called you. And you're going to face your fears with me. See, oftentimes we can settle into our comfort zones, can't we? Joshua and the people of Israel certainly could have. They could have stayed on this side of the Jordan and said, you know what? We got it. Yeah, it's not the promised land. It's within sight. But it's a lot easier here. It's not as difficult. The challenges aren't out there. We understand these challenges. And that temptation remains to, to carve out our comfort zone, even in our Christian walk today. This is what I know. This is what I understand. But this commissioning of to go, one to Joshua and Jesus to you, to me, it still applies. We're to go beyond where we are. Uh, some people, scholars, have, have looked at the church and the movement of the church, and they've kind of labeled the churches uh, sometimes to be in four different categories. There's the museum church, right? that is often throughout Europe. I remember going to Vienna and seeing St. Thomas, and the reality is it's a beautiful architecture, an amazing, beautiful church that's empty. And there isn't an ounce of ministry that goes on. It's a tourist attraction. It's become a museum. I saw on Twitter today a church in the south that has now become a brewery which may be awesome in some ways, but the reality is people aren't filled up with a spirit, they're getting filled up with spirits. And, and how weird that is. It's just a museum church. You think of maybe some category labeled church as this maintenance church that's just existing. It's just holding on until eventually everyone fades away, literally. It's just trying to maintain. Some label the ministry church with the in in quotations because it's a lot of ministry and a lot of encouragement and a lot of good things helping people, but helping people who are already in, who are already there. And it's just ministry of a church for the people that are already there and the people not there yet don't matter. Or... There's the mission church that says we care about the people who are here and we want to see them take next steps in their faith journey with Jesus. But you know what? Equally as important, we care about the people who aren't here yet. We care about our community and we're going to serve and we're going to invest in those who aren't here yet as well as investing on those who are here. We have a passion for the mission of being the kind of church that builds disciples and changes the world in Jesus' name. We get to decide what church will be. We just spent a whole series 
talking about we want to be the mission church. We don't want to be a museum. We don't want to maintain. We don't want to be just a ministry, ministry for people who are here. We want to be part of the mission because we're a unique identity. We're the people of God who have been commissioned and called and sent to say we're going to be the church that moves the kingdom forward. We're going to be the people who lead this on. We've been commissioned just like Joshua was. He goes on, uh, verse 7. Here's what he says to Joshua as he continues on this conversation. Be strong and very courageous. I don't know if you're seeing a pattern here. That's the second time he said this. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be sure to obey everything written within it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. We must be a people who live on mission, but we must be a people who go forward in that mission faithfully. That we faithfully listen and follow God's plan and his best. He has worked out the way for us to have the best possible way to live life. And he's given us his word and he's given us Jesus to say, here's the way you do it. We live in a culture that has lots of opinions. Think about Joshua. I bet there were a lot of chiefs who thought, okay, if we're going, then here's the plan, Joshua. Here's how we should do it. Here's how we should do it. Here's how we should do it. And God's saying to, to Joshua, listen, I don't want people's opinions. I want you to listen to the truth. And I want you to heed my wisdom. And I'm going to tell you to do some things that are going to be countercultural. See, they're going to fight a battle in a few chapters where they march around a city with trumpets. I don't know if you've ever watched many war movies. That's not a good plan, right? Trumpets aren't good up against archery and, and, and weapons, right? And so when you get to that moment, when we get to that story in a few weeks, it's going to baffle you. And it should because it's radically different than the way it should play out. But God's saying to Joshua then and saying to us now, listen, I'm going to challenge you to do some things that are countercultural, that are vastly different than what the ways of the world or the wisdom of the world will say to do it. And I'm going to challenge you to do it different than them. Will you trust me? That's what God is calling and challenging Joshua with. Trust me. Trust that his word and his leading and trust it more than anyone or anything else. That's why we challenge you to read the Bible. Not because it's just an old book, but because it's a story of God calling his people to trust him. Has some really practical wisdom in relationships and finance and how you live your life and how you see the world. And a lot of those wisdoms and a lot of those principles are vastly different than what the world says, this is the way you should do things. This is how you should approach stuff. And God in those moments is saying, look, will you be faithful? Will you not deviate to the left or to the right? But will you trust me? And will you follow forward? I want you to go forward on this mission, but I want you to go forward faithfully, following after me. 
Learn to trust God, trust his word and his leading more than anything and anyone else. Read his word, understand it, talk about it, encourage one another with it. To say, hey, this is, this is the wisdom God says and, and I know you've been struggling with this or I know you've been, you're facing this scenario. Here's kind of what God says about it. Can I pray for you and, and can we help encourage each other to, to take these steps even though they're challenging and even though they're difficult maybe. We go forward faithfully. Someone's opinion is never as solid as God's truth. Just because someone has an opinion doesn't mean it's truth. It's an opinion. So choose wisely how you go. He goes on, verse nine and verse 10. This is what he says. This is my command. Be strong and what? Courageous. Do you get the pattern? He's starting off this whole book saying, Joshua, I'm commissioning you, I'm calling you. Hey, it's a challenge. You've got these fears in the background, in the backdrop of your life, but you be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and don't be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You will go forward on mission. You'll go forward faithfully and you will go forward with my presence, God says. I'm always with you. And that's how you can keep moving forward. That's how you can face and walk through your fears. That's how you can go through these challenges. That's how you can stretch yourself because I'm with you. Doesn't Jesus say that? And his commissioning in Matthew 28, behold, I'm with you to the very ends of the age. My presence is never away from you. God's powerful presence guarantees that Joshua is unstoppable and that God fulfilling his promise is inevitable. It will happen. Joshua, you go forward. Without God's presence, Joshua has everything in the world to fear. But with God's presence, we have nothing to fear. That's Romans 8, 20, uh, the last part of Romans chapter 8. Who do we have to fear? If God is with us and if he's for us, who can be against us? We don't have to live in fear. The reality of God's presence is seen so often throughout the Bible in the Old Testament to the New Testament. From the very exodus of the pillar of fire by night, God guiding them, and the cloud by day. But God wasn't content to just be in their presence. He kept getting closer. If you just think through the Bible, God appears and he says, this is the way I'm gonna be around you. You got this pillar of fire, got this cloud of night, but that's not close enough. And so we go fast forward all the way to Jesus and Jesus saying, look, I've been around you, I've been with you, but that's not even close enough. In fact, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna send you a comforter who's gonna be with you, be in you, with you, literally. Because God always wants his presence to be closer than we can even imagine. That there isn't a day or a moment that goes by where you're out of his presence. Listen, there isn't a day or a moment that goes by where you're where his awareness of you has stopped. Isn't that amazing? That the creator of the heavens and the earth is never unaware of you and what's going on in your life, of me and what's going on in life. I love what Moses writes in Deuteronomy to Joshua. These are some of the last words Moses has to Joshua. Here's what he says, verse 31 uh, of Deuteronomy, chapter, uh, chapter 31, verse eight. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you or abandon you. He will personally. It's not that God's powerful presence goes with you. It is that. 
but it's his personal presence as well. That he's with you, he's with me, he's with us. God's powerful presence is promised and sure. And his personal presence is with us. I love what Henry Nouwen writes this. The truly good news is that God is not a distant God. A God to be feared or avoided. A God of revenge. But a God who is moved by our pains, our fears, and participates in the fullness of our human struggle. The miraculous cures that we see in the gospel are hopeful and joyful reminders of this good news, which is our true consolation and our true comfort, that we never face anything alone, and that we have this privilege that the creator of the heavens and the earth moves with us. He says, look, I've commissioned you. I've called you. You're to be a person. You're to be a people who live on mission with me. I have more for you to do. I didn't just save you to hang around. See, that's part of the ministry, church. Well, let's play it safe. Let's just hang around until Jesus gets back here. No, 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 (laughs) no. God says to Joshua, God says to you, God says to me, I've commissioned you, I've called you, and I have a mission for you to be about. You go with me and tell you what, I'm gonna go with you and lead the way. You just stay faithful. Don't deviate to the left or to the right. You just keep following me. Friends, that's how this book starts. It's an amazing journey. And it's an amazing opportunity for us to see these God's stories, maybe in a new light, to understand that this is the reality of our backdrop. We've got fear. We've got fears as a part of our world. There was a, a study recently done that, um, that looked at 13 different countries, and they measured kind of the fear index The author of the study, uh, he gets back and he says, there's been a, shocking, a drastic change in America from 2014 to 2017. The senior vice president said this, we definitely have seen a huge spike over the last three years. Another expert chimed in, it appears that our cloak of security, the impression that we are more secure than the rest of the world is starting to fade. We understand the fear backdrop. And God wants to say to you, to me, to us, this is about facing fears. This is about moving forward. This is not about being a museum church. This is not about being a maintenance church. This is not about a ministry church just for the people who are in. This is about I have a mission for you. And we're on this journey to go. So that's the task that's before us. The invitation tonight is real simple. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for us? How do we be a church where you have a part in it and I have a part in it? How do we be a church that lives on mission, like Joshua, to lead the people forward into this unknown, to cross this this barrier that's there, to cross this Jordan and into the adventure of following after God? What does it mean for us to say yes to that? What does it mean for us to stay faithful to that? What does it mean to understand that as we do, God's presence is with us and he's leading us?
And so as we move toward a time of communion, as we worship here in song, I just, I, my prayer would be that this next song that we sing, this communion moment that we have, that it would be a kind of a soul-searching moment for you. It would be an opportunity for you to say yes to God. Yes, I want to be a person who lives on mission. Yes, I want to be a person the best I know how that's faithful to you, God. And yes, I want to be a person that understands your presence around me and with me better than I've ever understood before. And so, Father, that's what we ask. Just as you commissioned and called Joshua, you commissioned and called us. God, this narrative that you're unfolding in this book is an amazing story that's going to be told full of incredible adventures, some setbacks and challenges along the way. But there's some principles and things here at the very beginning. God, we want to be a people. We want to be a church. We want to be individuals that are strong and courageous. That we don't shy away or fade back from the mission that you have us and that you're calling us to. Would you help us to be people that boldly go forward, following you faithfully, and leaning into your presence that you change us and shape us in the midst of this journey. So Father, I pray for those gathered here, each one of them, you've called and commissioned. Father, would you let that take more and more root in their life, become more and more clear of how that is and what that is for this season. Father, for our church, we just ask as we get ready to literally start a new chapter to kind of move into a new geographical area just around the corner and a new chapter for us, God, would you help us be a church that's mission-driven? We want to follow you. Would you help us to experience your presence in incredible ways, ways that encourages us, ways that motivate us, ways that see your work and your activity around us. God, we want to be active agents for your good in this world. We want to see people come to know Jesus. So, Father, for each one of us, would you show us what that next step might be? As we take communion, Father, we remember that Jesus came on a mission, and he fulfilled it. And it's through his life, his death, his resurrection that we have life with you and the opportunity to be a people who live on mission. As we worship you in this song, I pray that it would motivate our hearts to be the church individually and together as a community. We pray that in your son's precious name.